when does the outlook calendar stop? What's your family calendar look like? You know, are you talking about eking into other time in your life? What are those other roles that you play and what's important? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at my colleague, Dr. Jennifer Apps. Everybody listening, Dr. Jennifer Apps is a pediatric neuropsychologist at Children's Wisconsin. She is an associate professor and the vice chair of faculty development in the psychiatry and behavioral medicine department. And she's also the assistant provost of faculty affairs at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So, We are very fortunate to have Jennifer with us today. And I know Jennifer from the AAMC, the Association of American Medical Colleges, GFA, Group on Faculty Affairs. She leads the Twitter chat, the GFA Talks, hashtag GFA Talks Twitter chat. That is a great opportunity and experience for people to jump on and learn a lot of cutting edge Um, information, best practices, programs, policies, all um, on Twitter, right? Anything else you want to say about that? Put a little plug in, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a fantastic opportunity. Once a month, we get together and chat about all different kinds of topics related to faculty development. And it's just a great opportunity to kind of connect with colleagues in a new and different way for a lot of us that maybe hadn't used Twitter before for faculty development purposes. So I encourage everybody to take a look at our at our Twitter feed and check us out each month. That's wonderful. I admittedly am not good at uh, tweeting, but I'm learning. And um, what I love about the GFR GFA community, which is, by the way, how the whole Faculty Factory started, was trying to grow our community, is that uh, Jennifer does a great job in these invitations of describing what you said, don't be intimidated. If you don't know how to tweet, here's how you do it. And so every email and invitation and notice about the Twitter chat coming up teaches the newbies like us how to do it to give us a little bit of confidence and practice in doing it. And absolutely. As far as Twitter, you don't have to be an expert. I will admit I had never even tweeted before I started doing this for the GFA. So you talk about newbies. We all just learn together. I love it. That's what's so great. One of the great things about our, our community. So, all right, Dr. Jennifer Apps, I heard so much about you and learned about you and was recommended to talk to you because I was noticing a trend or some common thread through a lot of the faculty members that I coach and mentor. And that it seemed to be something along the lines of getting promotions or new leadership opportunities, new titles, directing this, running that getting this grant award, heading off this consortium, all these wonderful leadership opportunities. And then coming to me like, oh my gosh, Kim, I'm drowning here. I can't do this. I don't have any time. I'm burned out. Uh, Everybody keeps asking me for things. I'm having a hard time managing all this stuff. It's time. Is it time management? I don't know what's going on. And then I look at like their signature files are like six inches deep. And I'm talking about sometimes high level people with like pretty big, high up in the org chart. And I look at them and I think, well, why in the world are you still doing the things you were doing 30 years ago? Isn't there anybody else on the bench? Is there a succession plan that you thought 
or others thought that if I interview for this or get this award or convince people to support me to open this new center or program, I will then hand off this to somebody else. And I, I, I often wonder where that falls apart or why the most successful, productive people just keep doing the most and oftentimes burnout because they can't give things up and not only give things up, but they can't say no to other things. And then um, it's such a a tragic um, scenario where this brilliant, genius, productive, wonderful, passionate, enthusiastic person is just like, I'm out, I can't do it anymore. And balls start dropping and, and the morale's kind of eroding. And it's like, well, no wonder you, you can't do so much. So I want you to, you know, teach us, help us, give us some tools. What can we as leaders do to support our faculty and our colleagues and our friends and ourselves? And, you know, as faculty members, what can we do to prevent that and not make that mistake and be planful and thoughtful as we say yes to other big opportunities? Fantastic questions. Oh, my goodness. So um, we have like eight hours, right? (laughs) (laughs) And go. (laughs) Okay. So when I work with mentees and faculty as well, I will often find myself saying to them right out the gate, you are going to overcommit. At some point, we all do it. Everybody overcommits. We all find ourselves in exactly this state that you're describing. And the worst feeling comes when you get into these positions and then realize you feel like you're not doing any of them well because you're just managing them all instead of really being able to excel. And so that's the time when you really want to sit down and really reconnect. For me, it's about reconnecting with what are your values. And so when I'm working with people, often what I will have them do is I start off with a really simple exercise. And I call it a role activity exercise, but it's it's getting people for a moment to think about and not just think, but actually put down in words. So write it on a list or, or you know, jot it in your phone in a note but put words around every single role that you play in life. And often if we really, we start off, we just think about exactly what you said. It's that signature line, right? I'm I'm these things. But the reality is we are all many, many dozens more of the things in our life than just those. And each one of those titles within itself encompasses different roles that we play. So we may be a mentor, a mentee in different areas, in different realms. We may be a teacher. We may be an educator. We may be a parent. We may be a sibling. We may be so many different things in our lives. And if you really give this credit, what you'll end up with is this extensively long list where you're like, oh, no wonder I'm busy. But what it also helps you do is it helps you suddenly start to connect the roles that are the most valuable to you. So where where are you the most you? Where is your energy? When you when you have a day where you find the time just flies and you're like, wow, this was a this was a good day. What have you been doing in those days? And generally, those things tend to kind of start trending together. We find that there's there's the things we value most are the things that end up driving us and energizing us. And yes, those days may still be long. It still may be a lot of work. And yeah, of course, there's still going to be frustrations in some of those days. But it's really starting to connect with those values that then helps us figure out the first steps in prioritizing and how to make some of these decisions. So we start there. Love it. Love it. From there, it's about, yeah, go ahead. 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the values exercise that I first was exposed to at the AAMC for a workshop. And then what we've now um, start off many of our leadership courses with, and at least my initial instinct to that, when you get this deck of cards or this big table with all these values is like, well, of course they're important. They're all important to me. Of course I value you know, <laughs> productivity and collegiality and generosity and truth and honesty and promotion. And of course, who doesn't value these things? And that's like kind of a flippant, yep. you know, impatient, which is me being a patient way of looking at things. But then when you rest in that a moment, you have to, you have to limit your, this whole set of values to only 10 that you always value. That's when you start saying, you know, getting more clear about, well, clearly all these values are important. No one's going to, you know, say that some of these things aren't, but for me, maybe notoriety or being famous is not important. Rather, this is more. So now then it becomes more clear. At least again, I'm, I'm, I tend to project. I'm like, well, doesn't everybody think this way? No, no, Kim, not everybody thinks what you think. Thank but it's the practice of doing it is what I'm trying to say is that one of those kind of soft, squishy, fluffy things that a lot of people will poo poo because it's like, duh, isn't it obvious yep. what the values are? But no, it's not. And so the exercise of thinking, what are the one the, the handful that are inviolable, sacred, you're not going to give them up. Once you get a hold of those and, and re, get in touch with those, that's kind of like, oh, that's the fundamental, that's foundation of me. All right, I'm done. Stop. I'm done yammering. Go. <laughs> no, absolutely. You you make such a wonderful point, though, and and I love that word squishy. I've been using that word a lot lately. So so much of of when we start getting into these things, people do feel like it's squishy, right? But it's it's because we don't actually in, in our regular everyday life often make time for this. And there's so really what we started to get back to now is we're starting to get into what ultimately is at the core of building resilience and grit, right? So those of us who end up in, in leadership positions, and as we've pursued higher level education, we've all gone into these fields where we've demonstrated grit, we've demonstrated the ability to persevere through things towards a, a long-term goal. But in order to do that, you have to have these values that have been guiding you, that have been leading you. And often we get so caught up in, in making those accomplishments and going down that road and, and, and doing these important things that we're doing that we, we do kind of discount the squishy. We, we don't really stop and take that, that time because it doesn't feel like it should be on the do list, right? It doesn't feel like it's productive, right? but we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because we're not recognizing how much that actually ties into our overall resilience. Being resilient is being able to recognize these qualities in yourself, being able to, to really truly be able to, to spend some time in introspection and feel comfortable there and feel comfortable being able to recognize that we're not gonna be excellent at everything all the time. It's a process, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a constant growth and development. And that means being able to acknowledge these things that do feel squishy because they're not as well defined and they're not as as obvious on a daily basis. So I think that's a huge component of what we all really have to be addressing right now, especially given the stress that we've experienced this last several years, everything going on with the pandemic. You, you mentioned not being able to find or not maybe putting successors in place over time. And 
And a lot of that becomes, especially right now, as we're coming out of this sense of isolation of this last several years and kind of everything we had to do, we, we kind of did it on our own. We were all in our individual silos. There's probably people you work with that you haven't even seen face to face in like years at this point. Um, and so it becomes easy to forget to connect those values with with everybody around us, with the alignment of our roles and where we're going, and then helping people come along behind us comes after that. If we're not doing that for ourselves, we can't help those people coming along with us, after us, to move forward in their development either. Oh, Jennifer, that's such a a great observation. Because if we're not even aware or don't want to spend the time being aware, like maybe we know it's there, but we don't care, Aware, but not care. I'm just making that up. Maybe aware, <laughs> but I don't care. So if, if we're like that, I'm like, I don't want to have any self-awareness. I don't have time for the squishy parts of me. In the mm-hmm. intelligence EQ world, if I don't have the, you know, knowing myself to better manage myself yep. and my triggers and my strengths, I'm certainly not going to be able to be aware of other people's squishy. So, and, and I'm not going to recognize yep. that they have squishiness and they have values. And so managing that relationship, you know, emotional intelligence, knowing myself to manage myself, knowing others to manage those relationships with other people, that's all going to fall apart. And, you know, you know, Jennifer, you're making me think this is like a crux of a lot of our problems, I think, as leaders, is people, we have all the knowledge, skills, we have all the behaviors as X, Y, Z clinician, all the objective metrics and indicators of being the R01 funded investigator and building a lab and whatnot. But if you lack, if we lack that emotional squishy intelligence, so much um, is lost and eroded. And it's just, we, I think we, we miss so many opportunities and then not, that's kind of the mildest part, missing opportunities of capitalizing on people's strengths and passions and, and rowing together and having that sense of, wow, we're in flow as a team but also it can be toxic. Can yes. be, the worst side could be toxic. Like I'm thinking, why doesn't this colleague or this person in my lab or this person in my clinic or this patient, why aren't they, if they just did, if they would, yes. then we're missing it and we're causing all kinds of we're making assumptions and just aggressive yes. and all these problems. Right. But it starts with the squishy. <laughs> it does. It does. And and the reality is, the reality is, as we're as we're serving in these leadership roles, time is limited, energy is limited. Right now, personnel activity time is limited a lot of the time. So, so we do. We it's very easy to get caught up in just focusing on what needs to be accomplished. And and you started to touch on something so brilliant. And it's that it's that why aren't they just or what are they just and and a huge component of what's happening when we are goal setting, when we're trying to, to set our priorities, to figure out where we want to go. And then ultimately this, this question you first came to me with of why can't we let these other things go? It's, it's because we start doing those assumptions in our mind all the time. And so in, in the world of psychology, we call those cognitive distortions. And so our, our whole world can sometimes be completely derailed by these cognitive distortions that we don't even really realize we're doing. And so these are things where ultimately we're making assumptions either about the world around us or about ourselves, but it's based on either irrelevant or even incorrect information. 
So one of my favorites that happens, I think, to all of us all the time is what I call the shoulds, right? So how many times are we sitting at our desk and we're going, oh, I know it's already X time, but I just, I really should check just a couple more emails. Or, you know what, I really should just spend a little more time on that manuscript or, okay, I just, I really should just make, I'm going to just check these slides one more time before this talk, right? And before we know it, we've worked way more hours than we meant to that day. We've, you know, probably let go of or ignored things that we shouldn't have, um, but we've put all this pressure on ourselves and then we end up at the end of our day and maybe we're grumpy, maybe we're irritable with our significant other. And they're like, gosh, well, why was today such a challenge? And you're like, I don't know. I just had all this stuff I needed to do. Well, did we or did we put that pressure on ourselves, really? And, and all that comes from this sense of guilt. It comes from this sense of, of obligation. And ultimately, that relates to these distortions, right? So are we comparing ourselves to what we want to accomplish and what we truly are setting out as our goal? Or are we comparing ourselves unfairly to what we think everyone else is thinking? So other ones that we tend to do, this all or none thinking, like I either gotta do everything or I'm just not doing this job the right way. And that feeds directly into this lack of, of transitioning other people into a succession role, right? It's this lack of willingness to pass these projects on or give other people an opportunity maybe to try to excel at some of these things. It's it's this inappropriate, kind of misappropriated idea in our mind that, well, I know how to do it. And 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 it I just nobody else is either going to do it as well as I can. Or maybe if I don't do it, then if something goes wrong, everybody's going to think it was my fault or I don't know, any of a number of kind of, of misattributes that we may we may come up with. Yeah, that that's that misattribution is really key for me. And I'm I I don't know if it's kind of arrogance or you know, lack of humility. And I get a sense, you know, when we build something or we create something, we develop something, absolutely, it's so near and dear to our hearts, and we're so passionate about it. And this feeling like nobody could ever do it like I do it. True. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean there's a different way of doing it. And it doesn't mean yep. somebody else could, maybe they will um, mess up some things, but guess what? There's probably also a good chance, assuming you work with competent, motivated people at your institution, which we all yep. do, that they're going to make it yep. a wonderful improvement. And it might not be the That's same, right. but it will be different. And so I think that I try to remind myself of the, the humility of um, being open to other interpretations and realizing that I am not the keeper of all truth, that there's another truth of there. Hence, this I this the best I the best outcome of diversity, equity, inclusion is diversity in its broadest sense, and having every component of diversity at that table to look at a problem, a leadership opportunity, a challenge, a grant, a paper, a lab, or whatever. And getting diverse opinions and perspectives. And then guess what? Yeah, it may not be what you did, but it's going to be better than that. And that's what I find that people don't want to let that go because they're so, yeah, like they don't trust anyone else to do it. They're afraid. And I think, I think part of it, Kim, too, might also be that 
as we elevate in our careers, sometimes we still struggle with that unfair kind of discounting of our own accomplishments, right? And so part of this too, maybe as a leader, not recognizing that that I'm not 100% confident that I've communicated what this idea is well enough. Maybe, maybe I can't let go of it because have I done a good enough job of passing this along or, or describing it or setting it up so that somebody else could take it over? What if ultimately I haven't done enough? Right? Oh, Jennifer, so- you completely opened my eyes to a new way of thinking about this. The uh, It's your all or nothing point that yeah. I can't hand this off to Jennifer Apps to do in my place because I have not written the standard operating procedure manual. I'm not, I've right. not done that one experiment yet. I haven't finished that one paper. I haven't, you know, I should have, you know, as our colleague at Hopkins, Dr. Netta Gould says, I, you know, shooting all over myself. <laughs> that this, I, I call this thing, I'm shooting all over myself that, that I, I, I should do these things first and then I can tie it up in a pretty little bow and hand it to Jennifer right. and say, here you go. The grant is completed. The last report has been turned in. The papers have been published. The people have been hired. Everything is perfect. And now I'm going to hand it off. Yep. It's never going to happen. Exactly. Right? Maybe that's and, a much more generous and loving perspective, Jennifer, to say, here I'm, thinking, I'm like, well, you, you, you know, you selfish jerk, give somebody else a chance to do something and let go of some of these other things. And here you're being much more kind and saying, maybe they're just, they don't feel confident enough that they don't want to say here, uh, you can have my thing here, have my lab here, have this program. Somebody's a walk up, walk in and go, what a kind of mess is this? We got to get maids and housekeeping in here. She wrecked this hotel room and you're, we're there <laughs> by it. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it when I heard. And, you know, the other part of that too, is what are we modeling as leaders when we act that way? Right. What are we modeling from a wellness perspective? How, what are, how are we setting out this unrealistic continued unrealistic expectation that we all somehow have to be perfect or that we all somehow have to have it all together. What's amazing is the times in my career when I have just let that guard down, when I've gotten it, and you're right, we work with amazing people in academic medicine. And so I've got this incredible group with me and I'll be sitting around, we'll be talking about a project. And when I just let that go for a minute and I'm honest and I say to them, I don't think this is really ever going to be where I want it to be. So let's all just come at this together. I'm going to trust your opinions. Let's bounce this off each other. We'll work together to get this project where it needs to be. And if I can help, or if you feel I haven't done something, please just reach out to me and let me know. Then all of a sudden there's this like level of mutual respect that maybe wasn't even there before. It's like all of a sudden we're just people helping people working together and that environment speaks so much greater to wellness overall. You talk about burnout literature. It, I mean, control, control of your environment is a huge component and a huge factor of that. So when I'm giving up a little of my control by increasing other people's control over the situation, then I'm improving everybody's wellness to a large extent. And all of a sudden, everybody's more engaged and you get more work out of them. You get more wonderful ideas, creativity, all those fantastic things. So um, it can... You're dropping down all those walls of 
people who may be insubordinate by title, by tenure, by whatever roles, or whatever. That this is like that there's something um, you know magical, mystery, mysterious about you. That you you drop those walls down and say, I don't know. I'm nervous. I don't. I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing. This is not my forte. This is one of my blind spots. I recognize that. That's why I have you, Jennifer, on the team. I don't know. I need your help. Whoa! Like when you when we're yeah. honest with that. No, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I know I'm not perfect. I'm a squishy, just like you're a squishy. We all have. We, we all have our spots. <laughs> and you're right. That kind of is like that a major exhale of okay. This is not a know-it-all, want-it-all, be-it-all autocrat who's going to slam me over the head if I dare to say something or refute something or question something. And that does take the burden off of us and other leaders to know that you don't, I hear so many times of, you know, micromanaging leaders who in their zeal to do well, do too much. And then they're, yes. they're taking away from their team members without even realizing that there's no malintent. I don't believe they're not being malicious. They're just right. like, they don't know what they're doing. So they're trying to do everything. In the meantime, it's almost like saying, it's almost like running a relay race yourself. And you've got your team members on the side waving at you. And you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you're like, people that are thinking, you can tap out anytime. You know, uh, we're good. We, we yeah. You're like, no, I got it. I can do it myself. Watch me. I'm the leader. I need to do this myself. No, dude, come on. Tap yes. out. That's a fabulous analogy. I like that analogy a lot. But it speaks back to your question of then, how do we end up with these, you know, mile-long taglines where we've got all of these different titles? Well, um, I think that's the point we have to get to. We have to get to that that recognition, that realization that that we've kind of gone off that rail. We've been running that marathon on our own, um, and be willing to sit with some of these these really deeper kind of thoughts about what's really driving us. What's, what am I really trying to compensate for? Or what am I really trying to accomplish here? And is it actually the goal that I would put down on paper? Um, And I always, it's funny when I talk to people, I often end up bringing them back around to uh, writing things down. You know, so much is electronic right now. And so, so many things are so instant and, There is power in words. There is power for our brain to take a thought and actually put it into actual words. That is half the battle, whether it's positive or negative. So it may be something that we write down that we take a look at once we have it in words and we're like, well, that's ridiculous. (laughs) What was, you know, like, why am I holding myself to that standard? You know, or it could be something that helps us really contextualize what we're doing. Like, oh, you know, really everything that I'm working towards relates to this, or it's all about this and that's where my energy is. And so then now all of a sudden it does start to make sense as to which things maybe I should be letting go. How can I free myself to really follow my energy by saying no to some of those things that I've been hanging on to or passing them on to those other people and letting them have that opportunity. Um, And I think that's when we start to finally let some of those taglines drop and make our, make our lives a little more manageable. Jennifer, thank you for that reminder about journaling and using old fashioned pen to paper or, you know, finger to keyboard to writing, to putting into words. And I think it makes me think of just looking for as clinicians, as scientists, looking for trends and patterns. And 
you're making me think of like diet journals and food journals that, and that, that are synced up with your mood and how you're feeling that if after a period of days or weeks or months, you notice that when you're thinking these things that don't believe everything you think kind of idea, and you're like, why do I keep thinking this? Why do I keep writing this down? There's really, if my best friend were saying this, I'd say that there, show me the data for this. Why do you believe this about yourself? What assumptions are you making? What do you think is going to happen? And then you'd notice that, gosh, you know, every time I'm writing that, thinking that, dictating that word or those feelings or those thoughts or those shouldas, it's on the heels of when I've been, what, fill in the blank, yes. in the clinic yes. too long, you know, on my feet too long, not having had any water, not having had too, chocolate in the past hour, I mean, whatever it is, <laughs> like, what is triggering me? And I see this pattern, like somebody would say, oh my gosh, I always notice that I I have sugar and it's on, it's after this. And so maybe I need more protein. So when you have things in, in words, as you're saying in front of you, you start, I can imagine seeing almost like those wordles. You're like, why does this word keep coming up? Where is this coming from? (laughs) How does this sync up with values? Or if it could be a good thing, you're like, that's one of my core values. And what am I doing in the course of my work that supports that value? Nothing. Oh my gosh. Why don't I start getting rid of that thing and do something that takes me back to that core value? That's right. That's exactly right. And the wonderful thing about working with so many amazing people is each of those people is also unique and different. And so if there's something on your plate that really isn't energizing you, it's not nourishing you, it's not leading you down those positive paths, there's going to be somebody else who values that. And so it's just, it's being able to collaborate and connect with with your teammates to a point where you can find who else to pass that off to. And, and it's okay if it's not the first person, um, you know, it may be that you work with it for a little bit before it finds its proper home, but you'll be able to pass those things off. The first challenge is just recognizing it, just like you said. Jennifer, what do you, what advice would you give to, to leaders, dean, provost people, mentors to help mitigate that signature file stack um, that somebody's coming into our office or into our Zoom office to meet with us. And they're like, oh, I'm thinking, hey, Jennifer, I'm thinking about this opportunity or I'm interviewing for this and I really want to build that. And and you as the coach, mentor, provost, you know, dean, or, what can we in those leadership roles do or think about to prevent that kind of overcommitment um, sure. managing, not excelling, burnout, you know, cognitive distortions. What can we do to help yeah. prevent that versus treat it? That's a fantastic question. So when I've worked with people in that exact situation, I feel like you have to come at it from a leader's perspective. You have to come at it from a couple different directions, because if you just come at it, say from the squishy, then you're likely to kind of shut that person down, right? Because that's not what they're coming in to talk to you about. They're coming in with asking for very, in their minds, concrete, tangible, professional advice about their career. And so often I'll start there. I'll start where they're at. Um, so the, uh, the last person who came to me with this exact kind of request, um, what I had them, the first question I had for them is, if you were looking at your Outlook calendar, what part of your day would this fit into? Where would you create the slot? What would the what would the appointment look like? I made it really tangible first. So and and so, yeah, so you know, they they 
Yeah, and and so we spent a little time kind of talking about just the the very concrete nature of the time required to do the task. And what that did was then it opened them up to suddenly start talking more about what the why. Well, well, so if you're really talking about having to set other things aside or take them off your calendar, then then why is this more important than that thing? So now it could be a natural progression into a discussion around the priorities, around the why. Um, and that leads to being able to really investigate, is this really your why? Or are you doing this for somebody else? Is this, mm-hmm. is this actually somebody else's expectation of you? Mm-hmm. Now, we all know that in our profession, sometimes we have to do things that other people want us to do. So it's, it can be okay if it's somebody else's expectation, but only if we go into it recognizing that and recognizing, you know, there's still a reason for us personally as to why we would do that. Um, and, and so we get that person to the point where they're able to express that they're able to understand the why they understand how it connects with the rest of the steps they're looking to take in their career. And then they can more honestly judge. All right. Now I have a better sense of, is this really something I want to commit to or not? Now I have a better sense of what am I giving up for it? And where is it falling in my priorities? Um, and then it's up to them to make that decision. Ultimately, as a leader, we can give them all the advice we want. Um, but they still have to make those choices. And sometimes we have to give people space to make choices we wouldn't make ourselves too. Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Apps. That is such a great, great piece of advice. I can envision now saying to someone on a Zoom call or in my office, let's, op- let's open up your Outlook calendar right now, just for fun. I mean, just yeah. pretend this is next week, pull up your calendar and go where does it fit and have them go well you know it's not really accurate because next week's this is that and the other all right let's go to the next week let's look at that uh, let's skip ahead next yeah. week. well you know i probably if i get that i'll probably what do you probably do get rid of some cases i won't do as many and who's the all right how are you going to do that who's going to do that yes you're going to feel about that and you're right it's one thing to talk about i'm going to start exercising or really when you do that in the morning well when exactly yes well uh four in the morning really are you a morning person? No. Are you a runner? No. no. Do you have running shoes? No. Okay. So let's now think about <laughs> the likelihood of that happening. So I love the concrete, not, you know, philosophical, you know, um, theoretical, but all right, pretend all this is a go and this is going to happen. Yes. Let's get, get her done. Show me when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen. And then you're right. It tells that person to um, to live in reality of like, all right, there's only so much time. So yeah, why am I doing that? And then what goes, because I think so many faculty members struggle with pr- prioritization. Everything is priority one, everything. They make everything like a five alarm emergency, best effort for everything. Everything's got to be their A game. And it's just such um, an inefficient use of, you know, mental energy, emotional energy, time. Um, So that, you know, helping someone to see prioritization and, you know, movement up and down the list and for not permanently, but for a period of time, and then you're going to shift that down there. And I think that's such a wonderful, um, a wonderful suggestion of how to do that. I love it, Jennifer. And, and they look to us as leaders, you know, the, the role we have as, as leaders for those individuals, too, is 
to help them better understand the pros and cons of each of these things they're bringing to the table. And 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 you make a really good point as a, as a young faculty member in particular, or even one that's up and coming and maybe has had a few leadership experiences, but is looking for more, you can get caught up in a sense of everything is exciting. Right? Academic medicine is an exciting place to be. And there's there's always opportunities and there's neat, incredible things that you can be learning and doing. And, and so it, it is easy to get caught up in that and, and want to do those things. Um, and that's why, you know, again, I, I always try to remind people of not even just that Outlook calendar, but what is when does the Outlook calendar stop? What's your family calendar look like? Mm-hmm. You know, are you talking about eking into other time in your life? What are those other roles that you play and what's important? Um, and, and helping people remember that because as you point out, sometimes the initial response is, oh, well, you know, it, it doesn't really fit right now, but for, for the moment, I'll do it on Saturdays. And then as my calendar, you know, gets a little more lenient, then, then I'll shift it back into my work week. Well, okay. So tell me what you do on Saturdays. Oh, well, you go to your child soccer game every Saturday. So it's going to be okay that you miss those for this entire season. Cause you know, we probably won't be and, and all of a sudden, Again, those realities and those priorities start to to be recognized, and then we can help them recognize that that just because this opportunity is in front of you right now, it doesn't mean if you say no now that you can't maybe do it at another time, or that it can't come back around at a point in your career when actually it might even be more beneficial to you than if you did it now. Because how many times have we, uh, uh, you know, in our careers? tried to do something and then realized, oh, I really didn't have as much experience as I needed yet to really have this be meaningful. Um, And so helping them guide, you know, when to make those decisions. And and sometimes those are those are roles we can definitely play if we have that perspective already. And we've maybe already been there. Jennifer, you're painting a picture for me, maybe it's because I'm hungry, of a fabulous buffet table. And where because we're so hungry, we are have our big tray and we're piling on everything because it looks so delicious and it's beautiful and it's colorful and it's yeah. um, it's just so appealing and we're like we want I want all of it I want all of it like hence the the academic the idea Absolutely. so we're running Absolutely. collecting all the foods in the buffet line without realizing it's a buffet at a nice place they're going to refresh it. You don't have to yes. get all the food. There's going to be more. <laughs> and so you don't need to. Yes, exactly. Um, pace yourself. Put a few things. Go back. Sit down. Guess what? When you get up, those strawberry tarts are going to be there. And they're going to probably be fresher than when you took them. And then you, by the time you That's right. wait to the strawberry tart on your tray of, you know, your trough of food, you're like, ah, it doesn't taste nearly as good because I'm bloated because I, it wasn't the right time for it. So. <laughs> Um, exactly, exactly. Uh, Jennifer, I want to, while you were talking about, in addition to thinking of food and a buffet table, um, I was, <laughs> oh, I wanted you to talk about one thing that we hear at Wahopic is, and I'm sure we're not alone, woefully, um, we, 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 we struggle with resources, not only mm. financial resources, but staff resources and support resources. So what can you, what kind of wisdom can you share either as a faculty member considering more stuff, leadership roles and titles and opportunities, as well as leaders mentoring and coaching other people to take things on when resources are scarce, um, when when we, we don't 
how do we prepare? You know what I'm trying to say here. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm recalling conversations with a couple people recently. You're like, oh, in my first three months, I'm going to do this. In the next six months, I'm going to do that. In the next 12 months, I'm going to do this. And we should do this, that's And like this laundry list of wonderful, like you and I, Jennifer, were just saying, oh my gosh, you know, the buffet line menu. Well, I'm going to get this. And we're going to do this. And we're this. And you're thinking, yes, that sounds delicious. That sounds fabulous. And who's going to yeah. do all that? You, 50% effort, are going to do all that. And then, and as we all know, 50% is always 100%. And then in your other 50%, you're going to do your, keep doing your, your R01s and your surgeries and your twin daughters and your partner. Yeah. But then you're going to do this other stuff, all that list. And do you realize that you have a half-time administrative assistant to, right. to help you do this? So how, what, right. what do we do about that? resources question what is that one of the is that a cognitive distortion is that a i mean how what is that in psychology speak how do we you know navigate that re that reality of appropriately sizing effort to to match resources without saying well i'll just do it you know i gotta do it myself i gotta do a workaround i guess i did do it all myself well, yeah, and ultimately that what you're talking about is is really personalization, right? It's over-personalizing it. It's unfairly taking responsibility on whether you should or not, right? And so um, I, I think that in a world of limited resources, we do all tend to do that. We all tend to to personalize things and think, well, there's nobody else to do it. So I'll just, I'm the one who has to do that. Um, and, and unfortunately, that often may be true. Um, but not always. And, and I, I think you're touching on an issue that obviously is going to be somewhat individualized depending on, on each person and where they're working and what the situation is that they're looking at. Um, but how do we help people realize that they need to think about those things? And, and ultimately what you're talking about is some level of what I think of as institutional knowledge or institutional wisdom, right? And, and um, I, I think about the difference in working with extremely junior faculty members versus faculty members that have maybe been on the job for a few years and then ones that are more mid-career. And it's interesting because I almost feel like you, you don't see just a distinct curve in their institutional knowledge. You see people come out of training often very used to having to kind of do everything for themselves, right? Almost to a fault and, and not knowing how to leverage the resources that are around them. And so when you're working with really new people in academic medicine, it's about teaching them how to even begin to ask about resources. Often they don't even know what to ask for. They don't even know. It's, it's so much more than, than an AA. It's, it's how do you use the library? How, how can you access services within your institution of research? Or, I mean, all of the various things that, that our, our institutions may offer. And they don't even know that they can ask. Exactly. Not to exactly. only know what to ask. They don't even know that they are allowed to ask. I, I yes. People feel like if I ask something, I'm going to get a, you don't know that. Yeah, right. Smart. We hired you because you're smart. Figure it out. <laughs> or how could you dare ask for that? Are you, you know, who do you think you are? Why would you ask for that? Yeah, exactly. And so it's having that open door, that ability for them to, you know, there is no dumb question. Just, you know, let's ask. And if I don't know the answer, which I may not, I'll help you figure out who that would be. So now we're, you know, we're coming out of mentorship, maybe going into sponsorship a little bit, maybe helping connect that person. Um, and then as they move a little further into their career, I find then I work with faculty that maybe have now taken it a little too far, 
right? And now they're they're almost outsourcing a little too much. And they've kind of lost that, to your point, that conception of like, what's reasonable to ask another person to do? Um, and so I think that starts to now get into some of that emotional intelligence piece again. It's more of that squishy stuff, right? It's helping them remember how to take that perspective. Um, and, and some of that is, once again, just working with them to break it down. Okay, so if you were creating this PowerPoint slide, how long would it take you to sit down and make this slide deck? Oh, gosh, well, I don't know. I would probably take three days. I don't have three days. I got to be in clinic. But you're asking your AA to get it done in a day. Let's, so is that a reasonable expectation then um, for, for you to turn around and ask and, and just kind of, you know, making it that concrete work through again, kind of having those conversations so that they can recognize maybe that, that misattribution that they're making. Um, and that's a huge part ultimately of leadership development. When you're, when you're working with faculty to teach them those things and teach them how to take that perspective and, and, and think about these things, you're teaching them how to become leaders. You're teaching them, you're modeling for them exactly what then you're going to want them to do as they work with younger faculty and the staff around them. Um, and so it's just continuing that process. So good. And so, so good. Um, teaching others, right, that that recognition and awareness also that everybody learns differently and people have different different learning styles. And back to the squish, we talk a lot about squish in, in this episode, but a lot of that back <laughs> squish component that everybody has a different Myers-Briggs, a different way they take in information, different way they take they make decisions. And I was coaching a faculty member a while ago and she's like, so I had this fellow when we were doing a procedure and, you know, she'd already done it once before. And so she was doing it and she was doing something I didn't agree with. And I got upset and I actually had to take a moment. And during the debrief, I just had, to, I told her I needed, needed some time. I couldn't deal with it. And I, and I thought, you know, and I was thinking she had done it once, only once. Um, and, 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 that, and then I'm like, Ooh, Kimberly, how many times have you said in yourself, in your thought bubble, how many times do I have to say that the reason we do thus and such is because of thus and such. And I'm thinking, probably a million times because I have told that person and that person, but this person doesn't know that this is a new learner. This is a new team member. This is a new colleague. This is a new boss. Yes. So I, in my, you know, knickers in a not scenario can't say, how come she doesn't know this? How many times do I have to say it as many times as it takes? Every time, every day, every year, every month, all the time. Because I'll think, don't people know about that? No. People are still talking about, you know, drinking water. And I keep thinking, doesn't everybody know that by now that you should drink water? (laughs) Apparently not. So I always have to remind myself to be humble and to realize that those mentoring moments, just because we as leaders or faculty have figured it out, doesn't mean that others have figured it out at that moment for that particular case. So it's a constant, a constant dialogue, constant communication, constant checking our assumptions. Why yes. assuming Jennifer, wait, am I making some assumptions that, well, she did it once before three years ago. Why do I have to describe it to Kim Skrupski how to do that again? Well, Kim, you did that last year. Yeah. 12 months ago, I downloaded right. the software. I don't remember the 32 buttons I clicked to update the registry. Sorry, I did it once. Right. I don't remember how I did it. So I have to apply that same you know, grace and mercy that I want to others. Um, so I guess that's a lot a long-winded way of my, my trying to 
find some advice and you've shared a lot about awareness of resources and appropriately framing framing opportunities and framing what we do to make sure that we are um, aligning what we want to do with resources and, and who's doing what and how they're doing it and when they're doing it. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really enjoy your analogies, though. It, it gets me going off down all kinds of different uh, visual visual ideas. Welcome to my craziness. That's exactly how my brain works. I'll like, go on these tangents and, and I can see people going, what What are you talking about? Like, I, I suffer as one of our doctors here says, from metaphoresis. Dr. David Holmes says, well, as we all know, I suffer from metaphoresis. And I'm thinking, oh, I have that. I also have metaphors that just can't stop. I can't stop thinking of things and then I lose my, my train of thought. But you might want to email. Um, Jennifer has a really easy email address, japps, J-A-P-P-S, at chw.org, chw.org. That's japps, J-A-P-P-S, at chw.org. Right, Jennifer? Yeah, and I often say it's really easy to remember because it's just like the apps on your phone. So <laughs> it's... As simple as that. And, much, and that's much better than Skorupski. So you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, this has been such a great conversation. I want to um, zip my lip and have you kind of take us home. Axel, well, thank you again. I think this is the kind of conversation that we all need to be having at every point and to your point throughout our work with faculty. Um, it, it, it never stops. Our jobs never stop. Um, the growth never stops. Our own development never stops. Uh, obviously, being a psychologist at heart, I think a lot about developmental theory, and and we continue to evolve as people throughout our entire lifespan. And so, to me, that means the opportunity not only for us to take a moment and constantly think about our goals, think about where we're going, and think about our own growth, but then as we progress through our career, constantly evolve what that means in our work with with those coming up after us, and how we can help them develop how we can have our teams develop, how we can help healthcare in general just become better. It needs to be better in, in our country, and, and, and it can be. And I think we have so many amazing people working in this environment that there's no reason we can't all get it there. Oh. So thank you for the chance to, to wax poetic about some of these things. Oh, well, you are um, wonderful. Constant evolution, it needs to be better, and it will be better or just because of people like Dr. Jennifer Apps and those of you listening to the Faculty Factory podcast, spread the good news. Come and listen to us next time. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.